Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. A lot of these really wealthy people began to ask the question, well, what is life all about? It can't be about making money. I've done that and I'm not satisfied. What is life all about? It can't be about having sex anytime you want or with whoever you want because I've been, I'm doing that too. And it's not really satisfying. There was once a time when if someone wanted to share information, they wrote a letter. The New Testament of the Bible contains many letters written to share information and in some cases instruction with people in other places. The Apostle Paul was known for his letters and they weren't just fluffy pieces of literature talking about the weather. Paul wasted no energy on such things, but rather used his letters to instruct and show care for people in cities he'd lived in or planned to visit. Importantly, he used them to share and affirm the gospel of Jesus. Tonight, Dr. Corbett begins a series of messages looking directly at Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And there are more than a few things for us to learn from what he wrote. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for his introduction to the Corinthian series. Okay, today we start a series through Paul's epistles to the Corinthians. And that's not going to be as easy as it might sound because 1st and 2nd Corinthians are considered by scholars to be probably the most difficult of all Paul's epistles, if not all the, the New Testament epistles, to understand and to interpret. And, and hopefully you'll see why that is the case. So this is, this is what I'm calling an exposition. An exposition is where we look at what the text actually says, look at what it would have meant to the original hearers, which is going to be a bit of the challenge for us to get that right, and then figure out the so what. How does it apply to us today? So I want to introduce Paul's epistles to the Corinthians. And I want to point out that we have in our Bibles in the New Testament, we have what's called 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And, and that might give you the impression that Paul wrote two epistles. Epistles is a letter. Two letters to the, this church at Corinth. And I can understand why you would think that, but reality is there's quite probably five epistles that Paul wrote to the Corinthians and they're either directly or indirectly referred to in both of these these epistles and we'll see that in a moment so to give you some background I want to help you to understand where Corinth is so if we have a look at a map of the Mediterranean and of course you'd be aware uh, Medi means middle and terrain means land so in the middle of the lands is a sea and that's why it's called the Mediterranean Sea it's the sea in between lands and could anyone just quickly point out where Corinth is well how about it's right up the top there but if I if I zoom in a bit you'll it'll make it a bit clearer it's actually this this portion of land down here and you'll notice the word Sparta there that's where this it's where the Spartans come from so if you're, a, if you're a war history buff and you understand that uh, there was a, a pretty serious war with the Spartans, in fact, they made a movie out of it called the 300. And it was, the, it was called the Peloponnesian War. That's the big word for today, by the way. So this land used to be known as Peloponnesia. It was, it's also um, Corinth is the capital of this land. And and what this map probably doesn't point out as clearly as maybe it should is that the land bridge over near, between Athens and Corinth made this, this land uh, known as Archaea, with Corinth as the capital, 
um, it, it made it a really influential city. So I want to give you some background to, to this, so that, but that's the territory. What, what I'm going to show you is that Paul was over up near Pergamum, if you see on the map here, and he wanted to actually head into this place called Bithynia. And, and we read in the book of Acts that the Spirit of God said, no, don't go there. And so Paul then thought, well, now what do I do? And that's when he had a vision of a man on the other side of the Aegean in, uh, in, in Philippi, which was named after Philip the Great. And uh, he had this vision that that's where they should go. Uh, it was the Macedonian man. That, as you can see, that territory is known as Macedonia. And um, when we talk about the Greek Empire, technically it's the Macedonian Empire because Alexander was a Macedonian and he's known as Alexander the Great. He was the son of Philip. And so Paul went over there and then he travelled down Thessalonica, Berea, and then down into Athens and then into Corinth. And Corinth was a really, really important strategic city and, and place. Here's why. I want to show you why. So the history of Corinth. Corinth was a... A thriving place and it was it was thriving because uh, it, it was a, a, a twin harbor you notice that that land bridge ships would come in on this side and ships would come in on this side and that made it really unusual and so it was an incredibly prosperous place but in about 146 BC the Romans who were trying to take control of the known world around that time uh, found that the the people of Corinth said not over our dead bodies and the Romans said fine we specialize in dead bodies and came in and killed them all and, and then not only that to sort of make a statement to everybody else in the world who thought they could not do what the Romans said to do they they burnt the whole city down destroyed it brick upon brick and just completely completely raised it to the ground raised as in a, a razor raised it to the ground so that's the, the history 146 bc so then along comes about a hundred years later along comes this guy by the name of julius and he has a problem his problem is that he is kind of trying to take over the world um, i don't know if you've ever tried to do that you, you encounter a, a couple of problems as um as a, as a certain Russian president is encountering at the moment. Anyway, I digress. And so his problem was he, he, he had an army essentially of mercenaries. These guys were travelling with him. And the way he paid them was by pillaging and plundering. And the pillaging and plundering business had sort of exhausted a bit. So what he wanted to do was to reward his generals and his, his army officers that had helped him to begin to conquer the world and so he came to Corinth and he thought why is this place just rubble this this would make a great place to live look at it you've got beautiful coastal views you've got the Greek islands just over there to be a magnificent place and so what he did he said to his army generals and his chief officers and his military said I'll tell you what I'm going to give you uh, a reward for your years of faithful service I'm going to give you an allotment of land in Corinth. So go to Corinth, take whatever you want, it's all yours. So they did, around 48 or so uh, BC. And so they rebuilt Corinth. Now, 
they, they rebuilt it to the extent that it became incredibly prosperous. In fact, not only did they clean up all the rubble, but about 100 years after that, in other words, we're around about 50 AD or so, it had a population the same size as Rome. About a million people lived there. It was extraordinary, um, uh, extraordinarily prosperous. Up the top of, th this is a picture that shows this place called Mount Corinth, or Acro-Corinth. And, and up there, there was a, a, a temple to the goddess Aphrodite. Who knows who Aphrodite was the goddess of? Love. Love. And so there were temple prostitutes up there. And so for some reason, that attracted a whole lot more men to live in Corinth. And so Corinth became this place where that was happening and there was all kinds of sexual immorality and debauchery and all sorts of things happened. So that the, the well more refined Romans, because now it's, a, it's not a Greco city anymore, it's a Greco-Roman city, and it became an insult to, to be called a Corinthian because it was just such a sleazy place, which often happens when people have a lot of time on their hands and a lot of money. And we see that in the world of sport and celebrity entertainment as well. So that's some of the background there to, to this this place of, of Corinth. Nero, who uh, reigned up until 68 AD, that land bridge, he thought, wouldn't it be great if we could actually get a ship from one side to the other? And so he wanted to build a canal. And so he started. He used slave labour because he had a few thousands of them. And they, couldn't, they, they got a few kilometres in and a few kilometres on that side, but they never finished it. That canal was finished in the 1800s and it's now there's a, a canal with a bridge and it's, it's a major seafaring uh, passage. I sound like Tony Boyle, don't I? Now we're talking about seafaring and ships and so on. Now here's why what Paul wrote to the Corinthians is really important. I think there's, there's several reasons. The, the, the odd thing was this was a place where people were extraordinarily wealthy, like unbelievably wealthy. And yet there were also people who were objectively poor as well. So the whole thing of the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, that was clearly what was happening in Corinth. But alongside all this, there was the rich with a lot of time on their hands and a lot of money. And oftentimes they were older men who married younger women uh, as their trophy brides we're going to see this in Corinthians when Paul talks to them about some of the problems that, that had arisen in Corinth because the, the problem with an older much much older man marrying a much much younger woman is that there's a, a certain longevity to that marriage that's a bit of a challenge in other words the, the old guy is going to do what old guys do uh, and if you're thinking go and play golf no I'm thinking he's going to die and so you end up with these young incredibly wealthy widows and that was a problem but this is what was happening with all this going on a lot of these really wealthy people began to ask the question what is life all about it can't be about making money I've done that and I'm not I'm not satisfied what what is life all about it can't be about having sex anytime you want or with whoever you want because I've been I'm doing that too and it's not really satisfying it can't be 
about having the finest of everything because I've got the finest of everything and I'm still desperately empty. And so what, what this gave rise to was Corinth became a place where these travelling teachers came through. They were known as philosophers. Philo means love and sophia, sophos, means wisdom. So these teachers would come through and say, oh, you want to know what the meaning of life is? You want to know how to do life well? I can tell you that for a small fee. I can tell you that. And so they exploited the wealthy and, and the way it worked was that the, the philosophers who really tickled the ears of people got the highest sort of uh, uh, reward financially. And so it was a bit of a competition between these philosophers who could tell the people what they wanted to hear and whether they could do it in a, in a creative way. And so this was going on in Corinth. But what, it, what happened was it, create, it, it showed that there was a deep hunger for the spiritual and increasingly, as much as people were, were swimming in oceans of money and luxury goods and, and the rich had many, many slaves and, and life was pretty good, but on the inside they were so empty, they were craving for something that they knew was not of this world. So as we read through Paul's epistles to the Corinthians, we will see Paul refers to angels, demons and spirits and spiritual phenomena more in these two epistles than any other book in the New Testament. It's a, an extraordinary thing how often Paul talks about the spiritual realm. Absolutely extraordinary. So why is, why is Corinthians important for us today? Because I think we're living in a world where some of those same dynamics are happening now. We've got people who are not religious in one sense, but are celebrity spiritual advisors. And people are hungry for the spiritual. There's movies out that talk about ghosts and things like that. And of course, this is a part of the spiritual realm. And the occult and Ouija boards and, and all sorts of things. And how do, how do those people talk to the dead? I mean, I thought they were dead. How do they talk to... What's going on? And so there's a fascination even in our own day and age with the, with the spiritual and certainly that was what was happening in Corinth. Secondly, in Corinth they were experimenting sexually. They were experimenting with what it meant to be a man or a woman. And aren't we seeing that today as well? So there was a, a lot of sexual experimentation going on and a lot of gender confusion going on. And Paul refers to that. Paul refers to the fact that there was a... He mentions a whole list of things that people were doing and, and had identified themselves as and then they came to Christ and their world changed and so that's pretty relevant to where we're at today and then thirdly the, the the Corinthians were really confused about what church was meant to be all about and you can hear that if I'm telling you they like to have their their favorite philosopher who they would you know depending on what he told them it would depend on the size of the tip or the honoraria that they gave him and and this is what they thought church was. And it became very confusing for them. It's interesting that in writing to the Corinthians, Paul never writes like he does in his other epistles where he says, I'm writing this to the elders and deacons of the church. When it comes to these epistles, he doesn't even mention that there are elders or deacons. In fact, I'm pretty sure the word doesn't occur. So we have a confused concept of what church is. And I think there are many people today that have a confused concept of church as well. What is church meant to be? You know, when we built this building, it was fortunate that we, in one sense fortunate, that 
that we were able to build this just after the Royal Commission into the sexual abuse of, institutional sexual abuse of children. And having read through all the, the report documents where they, were describing, where they were describing some of the atrocious things that, shall we say, men of the cloth and religious people had done to children. And the thing that stood out to me was that most of these buildings where this took place were old, very dark, very mysterious buildings. And so you'll recall five years ago when we built this auditorium, I wanted this auditorium to be the opposite of all that. I wanted windows. We, we kind of had to put blinds on because it messes with the screen and the, the cameras and so on. But it's still, you can see in. We, we've been live streaming for a long time, so people right now can look at us and hear exactly what's going on. And, and I wanted us to be completely transparent. Well, I didn't want any dark corners in this entire place. So everywhere you go, back here, back there, any corner you can find, we've got a security camera. No secrets. And so what, what I wanted to do is to send a message when we built this building. I wanted it light, I wanted it airy, and I didn't want any possibility that someone could do something in a dark, hidden corner. And here we have in Corinth this concept of church where people confused the message. Oh, you tell me God forgives. So are you telling me I'm forgiven? And of course the answer is yes. Oh, great. Does that mean I can do whatever I want to whoever I want, even if I'm not married to them? And Paul's going to address that in these epistles because he says, I don't think you're hearing me. And, and it's almost as if today we have a, a similar confusion about church. What does, what does it mean to be a leader in the church? Paul is going to go to great lengths to talk about that. And so there's misguided notions for those that understand some of the Christian language about what an apostle is. Because some of these philosophers said to the Corinthians, Paul's not really an apostle. I'm an apostle. And they may not have even been a Christian, but they soon heard Paul and thought, I could speak like that. I could use his language about God and Jesus and the books of the Bible, and I could make myself sound like a preacher as well. And you can call me an apostle. So that kind of thing was going on. And unfortunately, I think today there are people who also claim that they are some kind of special guru from God that gives them a special hotline to God. And it sounds impressive, and I think it, it actually persuades a lot of people today. But I think we need to be mindful of what Paul had to say to the Corinthians 2,000 years ago, because it's really, really relevant today. The other thing is there's a branch of Christianity which we're kind of loosely near, and that, that's called the charismatic branch of uh, Christianity, church, which is about the spiritual gifts. And Paul talks about that as well. And... It's as if some people think that if you don't have supernatural spiritual gifts operating in your church, then you're not really a church. So there's a bit of confusion over what it means to be quote-unquote charismatic. So there's some confusion there. All right, there's the there some of the issues that Paul talks about in, this, in these two epistles. So let me give you the backdrop. I showed you the map. I showed you where he came. Let's hear the story now. This is taken from Acts chapter 18, the first two verses. After this, Paul left Athens. So I told you how he got there and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, 
recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. Now let me point out some things in this verse that may not be immediately obvious to you. Firstly, we know where he's come from, so we, we've got that. But, but from that statement there in the book of Acts, we, we know when Paul went to Corinth because he went there at the time when Claudius, who was the emperor at that time, just before Nero, had, he, when he was emperor. And we know that Claudius, we, we've got historical records to see that it was around about the late 40s, uh, early very early 50s or be late 40s really when he he took this thing that the jews were a pest and they were causing trouble in rome and he expelled them all from rome right so now we can date this we know it's around the late 40s or so um uh, that that's when priscilla and aquila who were jews so the other thing we notice is that in corinth there were jews there were jews there. and added to that historians or archaeologists have found um an engraving that, that says this is the synagogue in, in Corinth. So we know that there was a synagogue there, so we know there was a Jewish community there. So that, that's going to be important in a moment. So Priscilla and Aquila had left Rome, late 40s. They've arrived there and, and they're still there by the time Paul gets there. And there's going to be another date indicated to show us that Paul got there in 51 AD. So that's what we see here. Let's go to the next couple of verses we read on. And because he was of the same trade, this is Paul, he stayed with them. And worked for they were tent makers by trade and that might sound that's an interesting way for the for the Greek to be translated into English but tent maker essentially means a leather worker so they worked with leather so they could be making aprons or they could be making bags they could be making all sorts of things and they were called a tent maker but did you notice Paul was also a tent maker wherever Paul went he worked. He wasn't like one of these travelling philosophers who looked for people to pay him. He was someone who was prepared to roll up his sleeves and work and get sweaty. And we know he got sweaty. And because it says that he would wipe the sweat with his handkerchief and some people thought, oh, this is an apostle. This is apostolic sweat. Maybe it's miraculous. And they would take his handkerchief and put it on sick people thinking huh, that it would heal people. And it did, interestingly enough. But we see, and he reasoned in the synagogue, so now we know there's a synagogue in Corinth, every Sabbath, and he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now this should tell us something as well, because he's trying to persuade them about the truth of the Christian message. Because Paul considered that it was true. In fact, he'll tell us that in this epistle a bit later on. He'll actually tell us what he was preaching and trying to, to persuade them with. So what this does, it tells us that it's not a matter of just being religious. I mean, after all, the Jews were religious. There is no doubt they were religious. But Paul felt he had to persuade them to become Christians because in Paul's mind, he believed what Jesus Christ said. That it's not a matter of looking religious or being religious that makes you right with God. It's not a matter whether you worship the Greco gods, Greeks, or the Jewish way of doing things, Judaism. It's whether you have come to God on his terms, not yours. That's how Paul saw what he was doing. 
When Silas and Timothy, these are his co-workers, arrived from Macedonia, we've already seen where Macedonia was, Paul was occupied with the word. So he didn't have time to do his tent making. He was so busy sharing with inquirers about who Jesus was and what Jesus taught and what the Christian message really was. Now Macedonia, by the way, we saw is where Philippi was. And we know that Silas and Timothy came from Philippi, Macedonia. And the, and the church at Philippi had taken up an offering without Paul asking for it. They said, We've, we hear that Paul is busy sharing the word of God with, with so many people. He hasn't had time to look after himself financially. We would like to help him out. And so they brought a gift for Paul, which is kind of a bit different to how perhaps some people treat church and finance and you heard Stephen talk before about how careful we are with that so they arrived from Macedonia Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews and the Greeks uh, that Christ was Jesus that the Christ was Jesus and when they opposed and reviled him he shook out his garments and said to them your blood be on your own heads I am innocent from now on I will go to the Gentiles and you might think, oh, none of the Jews accepted what he had to say, but you would be guilty of stopping reading the passage. And we continue on because it says, and he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So Paul obviously, <laughs> the leaders of the synagogue stopped teaching this and Paul says, no worries, I'll go next door. And so he continues to teach about Jesus. And it goes on and says that eventually Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, so the senior pastor of the synagogue, the Jew, believed in the Lord, the Lord Jesus, that is, and together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptised. So while it might sound like all the Jews said, we don't want anything to do with what you're saying, Paul, we actually have many Jews, including the leader of the synagogue, saying, we accept what you're saying. We receive it. And we'll see Paul uh, refers to Crispus, I think, a bit later on in his epistles. All right, so the Lord said to Paul, so he's had all this opposition. And then one night he gets a vision in the night, so real, he thought it was actually happening in front of him. And this is, this is how it's described. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision... Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. So we have Jesus saying to Paul, don't give in, don't give up, keep going. Now, I guess I would have preferred, if I was Paul, I would have preferred Jesus to say, I'll take care of all those people opposing you. I will smite them all, Michael. I'll just smite them. Therefore, now there's no opposition. But Jesus doesn't say that. And can I actually think, I think, and I think we should probably consider this, that when we ask God to help us, sometimes we're asking God to help by taking away all the adversity and hardship we face. Who wouldn't like that? But that's not what Jesus is saying here to Paul. I'll be with you. I'll get you through this. They won't kill you. <laughs> um, 
can we renegotiate this deal? But here, it's, I think it's a principle of life. We go through tough times and we, we sang that song, Another in the Fire. We talk about the difficulties of life and we hope that God will just stop the difficulties and everything will be just wonderful and easy and peaceful and comfortable. Where Jesus himself did not enjoy that kind of life. He went through difficulty. He was reviled. He was opposed. He knows what that's like. And he says to Paul, keep going. What you're doing is good and right. It needs to be done. Keep going. And I think in life, we need to appreciate that life is sometimes punctuated by conflict. Not of our own making. A conflict that we're called to manage. But a conflict in which the test is, are we going to keep doing the right thing? And I hope we pass that test. So what was happening in the church that caused Paul to write these epistles? All of the epistles that Paul wrote, all 11 or so of them, came about for a reason. And normally the reason was there was a problem, except his letter to the Philippians. There was no problem. But here's the things that were going on in the Corinthian church that caused Paul to write to them. Number one, there was all these divisions, factionalism. In other words, Paul says, you, you all claim that you follow such and such philosopher or such and such preacher when all you should be doing is following Jesus. That's what you should be doing. But this has become a problem because now you're looking down your nose at others who don't follow your particular guru. Secondly, I mentioned that there were people who confused forgiveness with the license to do whatever you want. Licentiousness, it's called. So in the church, there was rampant sexual immorality there was confusion about marriage i mentioned the wealthy uh, uh, men the older wealthy men who clearly they they would they were dropping like flies and you have these young wealthy now young wealthy widows who are confused because custom was in that world if your husband died, you remained a widow for the rest of your life. Well, that's all right if you're the same age as him and you're both elderly. But what if you're really young? And this created a cultural problem. So Paul's writing about marriage and divorce to the Corinthians. Thirdly, who likes being told what to do? Well, certainly not the Corinthians. There was a whole bunch of Corinthians who kind of had the Aussie mantra... No one's going to tell me what to do. And so Paul is addressing this because Christ has actually ordained that certain people will be teachers. And the way teaching works is they teach, we learn. That's kind of the dynamic of it. I don't know if I went too fast for anyone there. So we open the first, very first couple of verses of his epistle and then I'll, I'll wrap this up. Paul, he says called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints that means you're a believer together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ both their Lord and ours grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you may be enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking 
in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now there's a whole list of things that Paul's done that we read and go, well that sounds very poetic. But what he's actually done is hit all of the issues I just mentioned that were happening in the church. He's, he's hit them square between the eyes. All of those things. So each of these things that Paul just thanked God for were the very problems, they addressed the very problems that were happening in the Corinthian church. So what are we to make of this? Firstly, what Paul says is that what you believe about God and what he wants from your life determines how you will live. What you believe determines how you will behave. Secondly, what we learn from this epistle, what this, these epistles will teach us is what it means to be a church family. Because at Corinth they did not get it at all. And Paul wanted them to understand what it meant to be a church family. Thirdly, this epistle will teach us that there is a difference between being religious and being a Christian or being a Christian. There is a difference. I've mentioned that Paul was called and Jesus and told him, keep going. Tell the Jews, tell the Greeks that they need to turn to me. So it's not a matter of being religious because Jews were certainly very religious. The Greeks, they had lots of gods. They were very religious. But here we see Paul says there is a difference between being religious and being someone who's actually accepted God on his terms, not yours. Please join and stand with us. Um, if you know the words, please feel free to sing along. It's who you are. It's who you are. 
Father, we pray that we would all know and enjoy your love, your unconditional, unmerited love. We thank you, Lord, that you have sent your son to pay the penalty, to pay the penalty for what we deserve because of our rebellion to you. And now, Lord, we come and we ask, Father, that you would just continue to cleanse us and help us with a pure heart to long to serve you and to please you and to know you. Father, may we know the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And may those perhaps who've never experienced the peace that this song talks about, the pardon that this song talks about or the love that this song talks about, may they know they are not a million miles away from you. They are just one prayer, a prayer that says, God, please forgive me. Come into my life by your spirit and help me to live for you. And I pray, Lord, that all of us would live that kind of life, a life that we are living for you. Father, thank you for this time together. May we go with God thoughts reverberating in our heart and minds this week. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, Paul had very good reasons to write to the Corinthians. There were issues emerging amongst them. What we will find is that this epistle, this letter, will teach us that what we believe determines how we live. More from Dr Corbett next week as he continues with the Corinthian series. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.